0: Chris Crew, I've been in the ministry now for 14 years. What an honor it's been to work with kids across the state of Minnesota and Prince of Minnesota. And to see this church, to see a gym, basketball hoops, you guys love kids. And when Pastor Michael was inviting me here, he said, hey, we're going to have some kids here. A lot of the team have been gone on missions trips, so some of them might not be here today. But we get to talk about what it looks like to have godly vision to reach this next generation. And when I was a kid, I remember when my dad took me to a Minnesota Twins game. And these were the binoculars that I got to use in 1993. All right, and they've kind of fallen apart, they've been neglected, they've, I remember at the time, the first time I looked through these things, they were so clear, and I remember Kirby Puckett batting and Ken Herbeck, oh man, I remember those days. Come on, come on. now, when I pick these up, I'm like, hey, kids, we're gonna go to a baseball game, and, and I had them look through them like, yeah, they can barely see anything, and these binoculars have been sitting in the bottom of a tote in the garage, and I don't know how many times they've been frosted over and kind of dented, and, and one lens won't focus, and so one's in focus and the other one's not, so they were good if you kind of hold one eye like this. <laughs> uh, but that's just a little bit awkward to use. Then I I love getting a deal. Like garage sailing is one of my passions in life. Anybody with me? Alright? So I don't want to go with you guys because I know you get good deals. I want to go with other people because man, garage sale were thrill seekers and it's so fun to find the deal. And I remember needing a new pair of binoculars. And so I went on Facebook Marketplace, which is man, it's like crap if you like garage sailors. It's really awkward to say that. Um, no, it's it's a it's a great Place um, to not uh, crack is bad, by the way. We don't make any analogy that means crack is good. I'm just throwing that out there, everybody, okay? Oh. <laughs> but you know what? It's, it's a great place to find deals. And I remember finding these loophole binoculars. Man, these are so powerful. They come with the shoulder straps so you don't have to carry them through the woods. And these things are just. When, when I opened, these are 10 by 42. It's like I can almost see Princeton from here with using these. Um, I remember the first time I looked through these and I was just blown away. It's like everything is clear. They could focus right away. And I was just in marvel of like, I, I didn't know binoculars could be like this. In talking today, saying, what is godly vision? I really think godly vision is seeing things the way God sees things. And so we're we're trying to say, God, could you help us, give give us a fresh vision, fresh passion to see what you see. I just want to read you some stats with Generation Z. This is anybody under 25 years of age falls into this new generation. There were, remember, uh, how many boomers do we have here? Boomer generation, awesome. Then we have, what was after Boomers? Was it Generation Y? And then it was Generation X? And then it was the Millennials? And then it's now Generation Z? Generation Z, anybody under 25, and I probably missed a couple generations, I'm sorry, um, but I'm glad everybody's here, no matter what generation you were born into. Um, Here's some stats. Here's percentage of Christians, I'm sorry, percentage of Americans who don't identify with any religion they have no religious identification. In 1940, only 5% of Americans claimed that they had no religious identity. 1990, 8.1%. 2008, 15%. 2012, 19.3%. 2014, 23%. And now, there's over 36% of Americans that claim no religious identity. Guys, we are coming against something that is a huge trend of people falling away from the church. Dr. James Henry White, in his book *Meet Generation Z*, says Generation Z is the first post-Christian generation being raised in America. Mm-hmm. When I read that stat, my heart just stopped. The first—I mean, not for too long. I'm glad it kept beating. But man, the first post-Christian generation being raised in America today somehow on our watch. And that's on all of us, not just as a church when we're here in these four walls, but as Christians, supposed to influence culture and supposed to love everybody. And so the the city on a hill, people should be drawn to Christ, but yet more and more people are walking away from the church. So what can we do about it? What can we do about that stat that kids and people are just walking away from the church We need to have a fresh vision of what God sees. In the vision statement, the the vision statement of Christ, if you're taking notes and if you have a phone and you just want to jot some notes on your phone, that's okay or a piece of paper. Um, But here's Jesus' vision statement. It comes from Luke 19.10 where he said, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's a laser-focused vision statement from the mouth of Jesus Christ. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so, if the stats are going the complete opposite way, I feel as a church, we can no longer afford to do addition. We have to say, God, help us to be multipliers. Help us to be multipliers for your kingdom. And so, in order to be multipliers, I looked at my favorite multiplication story in the Bible. The feeding of the 5,000. So if you have your Bible with me, open up to Matthew Fourteen, Matthew 14. While you're turning there, when I was looking up at the story, the feeding of the 5,000, I was really interested to find out that this story starts with Jesus trying to run away from people. I never put that together because In Sunday school, I always was taught just this separate story, the feeding of the 5,000, what an incredible miracle it was. But this actually, the context of the story, is where Herod was just, uh, he ordered John the Baptist to be killed, to be beheaded at this party. And Jesus just gets news of his friend, his cousin, John the Baptist, being murdered. And so it picks up. In chapter 14, verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by a boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So Jesus is completely wrecked over a family member or a friend being murdered. He's saying, I need to just get away. I just need to be alone. But the crowds continue to follow Jesus. This is important because this next part, Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Everybody say, and. 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 Compassion can be dangerous, actually, because compassion can lead to the feelings that you actually did something without action. How many, for instance, how many of you ever remember seeing that, that pet commercial that pets are dying of starvation? We need If you could donate $19.99 a month, pets will live. I remember you saw those little puppies and dogs the first time. You just started to weep. You're like, oh man, somebody has to do something. Compassion can lead to sentiment without action. The reason I had to repeat the word and... Every time Jesus was moved, (coughs) he moved. It was compassion in action. As a church, I think so many times we just view the lost. This is, what do we do? I mean, the need is so great. Families, what, what should we do? Jesus modeled, it's okay to have those feelings of somebody ought to do something, but then Jesus, every time he was moved, He moved. Read the New Testament. Every time Jesus had compassion on somebody, he was about to heal them. He was about to touch them. He was about to have relationship with them. And so every time Jesus was moved, he moved. So then he took took compassion on them, compassion on them, and he healed their sick. So the first thing I want us to do, we're going to spell an acronym. We're going to learn how to see differently today. And so instead of C being spelled S-E-E, we are going to flip this thing around, and we're going to go E-E-S, okay? Does it make sense? I'm a kid's pastor. Just kind of blank there are fine. All right. Um, so C differently. The first letter that we're going to study today is the, word, the letter E, and the word is this, empathy. Empathy. I feel as a church— and really is. As a follower of Christ, we need to start to see people with empathy again. Jesus was hurting, but yet he saw people, and he was moved with compassion. I'm convinced in the Scripture. I know the Bible says this, so this is this is kind of a out on a limb. But I'm convinced Jesus never saw crowds. I just think Jesus saw individuals that made up. I, just, I think it's a huge difference. Because even as a pastor, we could do church. We could have people come into our buildings, preach, and then they could all leave without connecting with any one person. And it's a challenge to see people. I got to meet two or three people today that I had such a great time talking with. And I was so excited to hear Timothy's story. Uh, Tim, Timothy or Timmy, what do you like? And you answered everyone. <laughs> I heard Timmy. I mean, I saw this guy walking to church today. And I, I was like, you know what? I should invite him to church. And I'm, and, and classic, I, I drove right past in the parking lot. And I'm like, you know what? I should get out of my car. I should go back. And, and I saw just this guy walking down the street. And I'm like, God, if this guy walks towards in the parking lot, I'm going to get out and I'm going to invite him real quick. I'm going to catch him. Maybe he's going to the hotel. And I saw Timmy walk. Towards the church, I'm like, okay. I started opening my car door Before I could even get up, Tim walks into the church. I'm like, God beat me to it. (laughs) And to hear his story that he just got back from a missions trip. He loves to bike, but his bike broke down. And Timmy said that if I could get my bike working, I want to figure out a way to raise money for missions. Wow, that was awesome. If I came for nothing more today, I got to know Timmy. And it was a good day. It's been a good day. Man, by the way, this three hour drive as a pastor, you have a lot of time to think on a three hour commute. I'm just, that would be a crazy commute if I did that every every week. But what a beautiful drive. And what a day that I got to meet Timmy. But we have to start seeing people. Empathy is great. Here's how you practice empathy you need to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Here's why that's a great practice. Because if somebody gets angry, you should walk a mile in their shoes. Because that way, when they do become angry, you're a mile away, and you have their shoes. (laughs) Isn't that great? No, but everything really is hearing where they're coming from. I think in America, we have a hearing problem. We are so desperately trying to be heard, and we are so desperately trying to be understood, instead of first seeking to understand. When we seek to understand before... We expect to be understood. We're going to have problems. I mean, that's, that's the way to do it. Seek first understanding, and then you will earn the right to be understood. So the first thing, empathy. We have to start seeing people again. Have we forgot, church, what it means to be lost? Have we forgot the hopelessness, the feelings of anxiety, the feelings of being vulnerable and alone and isolated outside of Christ, and we forgot. The world needs us to remember. We have to start seeing people like Jesus. And even, guys, even if we've been hurt, Jesus modeled, even in his brokenness, even though he was so hurt at the time, he continued to see others. He didn't just implode inwardly. So I want to challenge you to get help. Get counseling, but I want to pray that you just continue to see people for who God made them to be. The next point that we're gonna make, the first one was empathy. The second one is engagement. The first, how to see differently. Remember, E E S. The first one is empathy, the second one is engagement. Notice that Jesus never did anything alone. Well, he prayed to God alone, but when it came to ministry, so many times he was taking people with him. Did you know our pastoral, speaking for pastors now, our biblical job description is found in Ephesians 4, and 12. And we are supposed to equip the saints to do the work of the Lord. This work is supposed to be a together movement. It's not Pastor Micah just working harder. It's not Pastor Micah just doing more because now he's the hired gun for God. Right? It's supposed to be Pastor Micah saying, hey guys, what can we do as a church to impact our community for Christ? And it's supposed to be this together, this synergy. And so when Jesus, and by the way, Jesus was the only person that didn't need a team. He could have done everything alone, but he chose to model to us this work, employing people with us as we do kingdom work together. So, if you've been teaching, if you've been serving, no matter what you have been doing, I want to challenge you to think outside of what God has placed in you and say, God, who else can I do ministry alongside? Because as Christians, man, we're one generation away from going extinct. Think about that. Think about that. If we are not passing down to our kids this passion and hunger for God, we have to realize we're one generation away from going extinct. I met Ray today, and Ray just said he loves coming to church because his granddaughter is here. And he loves to see his granddaughter here and know Jesus. I thought that is so cool that he's taking time out of his day to be here so she could experience God and so he could learn as well. So, man, I'm, I'm so encouraged by some of the people I met today. But, Jesus, here's what happened. Jesus starts to heal them. He has compassion on them. Luke talks about that he's see, he's talking to them about the kingdom of God. Mark's gospel says in this parable that Jesus saw that crowd and they were like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus had empathy for them, but he also built a team. As evening approached, his disciples came to him and said. This is remote place. This is Matthew fourteen verse fifteen. This is remote place, it's and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy themselves some food. There was five thousand people following him. And by the way, in Jewish custom, typically they only counted the men, right? Yes. Wait, that's that's a bad thought. They only counted the men. They didn't even count the women and children. So, in this miracle, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, it could really say, Jesus fed the 5 to 25,000. Because women and children typically outnumber men, and you have whole family. There could have been 25,000 people following Jesus. And Jesus prays for them, he heals them. The disciples were saying, this, this city that's following us right now, how many are in Chisholm? 5,000. 5,000. So, like five cities of Chisholm following Jesus. And all of a sudden they're out in nowhere land, like Hibbing. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, sorry, <laughs> I um, had to just throw that in They had to figure out how are we gonna get something to eat. All the good restaurants are back in Chisholm, and we're all the way over here. Okay, how do we do this? And Jesus says this. This is this hit me so hard, you guys. It's already getting late. Send them away. But Jesus replied in verse 16, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. It's like, wait a second. There's 25,000 people here. The need is so overwhelming. Jesus said, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Church, I wonder if Some people are like, if God in heaven is so powerful, why are there still starving kids in Africa? If God is so powerful, why are there still families that are being ripped apart by divorce? They're so hurt. They're so in need of something powerful, something supernatural. If God exists, why is all the suffering in the world? I think the words of Jesus still penetrate our heart today. Jesus said, they don't need to go away. Church, you give them something to eat. He's pointing to me as a follower of Jesus. That's on us. Did you guys realize that we are the hands feet of Jesus Christ? He's the mind that tells us what to do. Everything is subject to what he wants us to do. But we are supposed to be the hug of God to this hurting world. Think about that. What a privilege. There's suffering, but yet God can use us to meet needs all throughout this world. But it's going to take us as a team engaging, not just coming to church, nodding, thumbs up, Pastor Micah, and peace out, I'm going back to live my normal life. It's going to take us daily surrendering to Jesus Christ at work, pulling people, saying, hey, come to church with me. Hey, let's do coffee. Hey, come on over for supper. Let's engage this world as we are on a team. Helping to reach the lost. All right, the last one we're going to hit today is this. So let's review. First, E was empathy. empathy. You guys, shut up! Wow. Second, E was engagement. Empathy, engagement, and then the letter S is going to be sacrifice. Sacrifice. Jesus said, "They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat." They said, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. And Jesus said, bring them here to me. I'm going to read John's account really quick. Because this miracle is recorded in all four Gospels. Here's what John said. Where should we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test them, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. I mean, that's so like Jesus. But check this out. Philip answered him. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a, even just a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon and Peter's brothers, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish. But how far will they go among so many? Okay, I just want to pause here. In the Gospel of Matthew, Gospel of Mark, and the Gospel of Luke. Neither of those synoptic Gospels even mentioned that the lunch came from a little boy. They stole that kid's lunch in those Gospels, right? They didn't even get, hey Jesus, we have five loaves and two fish. It's like, dude, they didn't even give the kid credit. But in the Gospel of John, they said where the food came from. I wonder how many people, think about it, 25,000 people were following Jesus I wonder how many other people had food that day. I wonder if this little boy, hearing the great meeting, said, "Jesus, here's what I have." If it was me, I probably would have given maybe a half a loaf, and for sure not maybe one of my fish, but not. I like fish. I'm not going to give Jesus both my walleye fillets. I mean, come, come on, okay, well. But that kid, you know what? He gave all that he had to Jesus. He saw a need, and he didn't say, hmm, you know what? Kids haven't learned how to be fearful yet. Kids haven't learned, and I say learn because it is a learned behavior. Kids have not learned how to calculate risk yet. I'm going to say that one more time. Kids haven't learned how to calculate risk yet. When there was a need, the kid went all in. All throughout Scripture, Jesus tries to remind us to be childlike, not childish, right, but childlike, to have that faith They said, if there's a need, God, you can use me, you can use me. The disciples didn't get it. They said, what are these five loaves of two fish? What are they among so many? The need is so great. This little kid, that didn't stop. What I have, you can use this. That needs to be our posture. When we look at suffering, when we look at the overwhelming problems in this world, in Minnesota, in Chisholm, in our families, the problems are overwhelming. But we need to say this God, please use me for what I have to make a difference. I'm going to go back to Matthew and I'm going to read the end of this miracle. This is so good in Matthew 14. Here's what Jesus does. He said, bring the loaves and the fish to me. Looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. This is in verse 19. And then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Here's what happened. And here's what happens still to this day. When we say, God, the need is great. Could you please use me? It's going to cost us something. There will be sacrifice. Paul in Romans 8 says if we want to share in the inheritance of Jesus Christ... How many of you are all about that, wanting to share the inheritance of Jesus? I do. I want eternal life. I want to be called the son of God. I want. I want. To, this is going to be incredible that I can be a child of God now because of my inheritance through Jesus. I was like, yes. But right after he says that, Paul says this: If we expect to share in his inheritance, we almost must expect to share in his suffering. Church, for us. To think that the church will advance, that God's kingdom will be built with us not sacrificing, is a lie. It will cost us our time, our talents, and our treasure. But when you say, God, I might not have much. Could you use me? Here's what Jesus does. He still does it. He took it. He blesses it. Whatever you give him, then there will be a breaking. It will be a tearing. But then here's what Jesus does. It won't cost us something. But here's what Jesus does. He gives us back whatever we give him. And we get to minister now out of that brokenness. Out of that hurt. Whatever it is, whatever we give God, he will give it back to us. And we get to minister out of that. Some of you have a story to tell. Some of you have, actually everybody has a story to tell. How you came to know Jesus Christ. That is such a tool to say, God, could you please use what you did in me to share it with others? Some of you, people will relate more to you in your pain than in your victories. Some of you have some painful past that God wants to use and redeem for his story. I just want to encourage every single person here who thinks the need is great, what can I do? To have that posture of a little kid who says, I might not have much. Jesus, could you use this? Jesus will bless you. It will also be a breaking. but There will be a huge multiplication effect when we minister when he provides a miracle through us, not just us, in our own strength. If you came here to church today, I know I was talking to mainly church people, but did you know that Jesus sees you today you're not just a number. You're not just a statistic. But Jesus looks right into your eyes. He offers hope. He offers forgiveness. He offers salvation from our sins. That is the good news of the gospel. The gospel literally means good news. And Jesus came for you, for sinful people, and that means all of us, to offer us salvation through his by the way, church, we get this. Jesus' sacrifice, he just didn't give a little bit. I heard a theologian once say this. Jesus didn't even have another drop of blood to give to this broken and hurting world. I want to challenge us, church. Have we been on autopilot just doing the same things that we have always done? Maybe you have it as a habit as a family member, as a, as a church member, as a community member. Have we just did the same thing versus really saying, God, how's my focus? Does it line up with you? Maybe today God wants us to just refocus a little bit. And the biggest thing that helps us focus, man, do we have any hunters today? Any hunters here in the place? In almost every scope, there's like a cross. And that focus through that cross, that lens, it just brings such a focus. We have a cross. All these arrows pointing up should reflect us to be heaven-minded, but this cross, it's like a point of focus for us believers. So I just want to challenge you today, and when I say you, I mean us, to see people, to have empathy, to engage people in this work that God has called us to do, and also to say, God, if you can use what's in my hand, I want to give it to you so that others can know Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you so much again for this day. Thank you to be a part of a church that sacrifices, that has people go on missions trips around the country and around the world to try to help lost people be found. God, I pray for this church that you would help us to see the need to raise up this next generation who is walking away from the church. We have to get creative in our approach to sharing the good news. Could you please give us fresh passion in fresh insight in how to do that, God. Thank you again for Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.